You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Happy New Year! 2020 is finished. Can I get a hallelujah for that? We are glad that it's over. Here we are in 2021, the first Sunday, and it's good to be back here in person. Next week, as Hunter mentioned, we will have a full band here, and uh, we will be doing that every Sunday instead of um, the videos that are online live. I don't know if you realize online um, whether, hey, that band wasn't actually here. We were watching the videos, too. I know I'm kind of giving a background secret, but uh, we did that for the sake of especially the online presence. But next week, the band will be here, and you will still have the words on the screen while you're watching the band. We've got that worked out. So we're looking for, uh, forward to kind of the next um, step as we advance both the online streaming and the in-person capability of worship in this new year. So hopefully um, you will be ready for that. And not only that, I hope you are prepared and ready for 2021. Are you ready? No. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Ready for what is the question, right? Yeah, I think if 2020 proved anything, we really don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the future is bringing. And so that's why I thought today, a one-sermon series today, before we go next week into a five-part series on the book of Daniel called Stand, to stand up, to stand out, to stand firm in the fire. Do you know that, uh, the whole, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Bednego in the fiery furnace. Uh, So we're going to learn what it means to stand in a culture that is basically set in a different direction. How do you live in the midst of Babylon? Because that's what we're doing. We've always been doing, actually, but I think we notice that now. But before we do that, I thought to start the year off would be good to start with this uh, one-shot deal called Prepared. Are you ready? Are you prepared? So let's read Luke 6, 46 to 49 today, where Jesus finishes his sermon on the plain in Luke and says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the streams broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So, um, you know the Boy Scout motto? What is it? Be Be prepared. Always be prepared. Right? Tell me, how do you do that? How, do you, how are you always prepared? Especially the question is prepared for what? <laughs> Pardon? Bring a Walmart Mart with you. Or if you happen to be Hermione Granger, what does she have? That little purse with everything in it? Uh, okay. Oh, okay. It's just culture. I know. Anyways, um, but the point is, how do you be prepared? And the question is always for what? How do you be prepared for what you don't know is coming? 
I know it seems like, huh? How do you do that? And that's why people so often aren't, is because they don't know what's coming. They aren't sure. That's why many people aren't prepared for the unexpected. And Carrie Newhoff wrote a book called um, I Didn't See It Coming. And in it, he says this, the implosions often come as a surprise. That's what happened to me. And I've seen the unexpected issues we deal with flatten many good people. They simply didn't see it coming. They didn't see the edge of burnout before they hit it. They didn't see their marriage becoming distant and desperately disconnected. They didn't see the compromise they made at work coming until they knew they had crossed a line of no return. They didn't see that their once cutting-edge style and insight had become insufferably stale. They didn't imagine the emptiness they would feel after all their dreams came true. They didn't see it coming. Few of us do. Now he goes on in this book after chapter after chapter. He says this, though, too. Cynicism, compromise, disconnection, irrelevance, pride, burnout, emptiness. None of these have to be your final story. So the good news today is you can be prepared. And you can be prepared for any of these things. We all face storms in life. We all face difficult times. We're all tempted to become cynical or to compromise at work or at home or to be disconnected from others or to be filled with ourselves and our own pride, uh, to fall into, as some have said, misbelief on one side, magical thinking, or unbelief on the other side and despair. We all face it. Jesus tells us how to be prepared, I think, in our text today. And he doesn't, in this passage, tell you what to be prepared for, but just for the storms of life in general. And so, here's the reality. I think you already realize this. You are either just right now leaving a storm that you've been going through in life, or you're in the middle of a storm right now, or you will be shortly entering another storm. I know, isn't that fun? But it's true. We've all faced it. And we know, but we always keep asking, what, um, what storm are we going to face? You know, can you tell me? Can, is it going to be a financial storm? Will it be a relational storm? Will I face a mental issue, a political issue, physical issue? Will I face burnout myself or cynicism or com compromises or disconnection or my own pride? Which one is it going to be and what am I going to face? You know, people often want, in that sense, a blueprint to life, okay? I know we don't even use blueprints much anymore. I think they do everything um, by CAD and on, on but, uh, you know, the old blueprints in life, okay? Where in blueprints, you get all the details listed out. People are always looking for that. And what they are really saying is, God, just tell me what's going to happen in 2021 this year. Give me names, dates, and places. Give me a timeline that's totally predictable, and then I'll prepare for it. But God doesn't give you a blueprint for your life. He gives you a foundation on which to build. That's what Jesus says in our text. He tells you not how you're supposed to build on this foundation specifically, but that a foundation is what you need to build upon. He doesn't tell you which storm is going to come to your life, only that storms will come to your life. He doesn't tell you um, what kind of a career you have to have. 
He gives you, instead of an occupation, a vocation, a calling. He tells you what kind of a character you are to become, not necessarily what you have to wear tomorrow. Do you get the difference? People want a blueprint. And I think it's so much better that we get a foundation. And today we're looking at that. You need to keep trusting God if you're given that foundation rather than knowing the blueprint that I can trust the knowledge I have about what's going to happen next or how this is going to work. You know, I don't know if you realize this. There's a whole, I would say, uh, almost uh, <laughs> Christian industrial complex books and articles and people uh, for timeline predicting of what's going to happen next. And by the way, I think um, in my lifetime, I think I've seen 20 or 30 different times that the end of the world is predicted. How many have you, by somebody, you know, it was 1972 was about the first one I can remember. Um, and each time, you know, the year 2000 was a biggie, supposedly. Um, and recently, you know, with the Christmas star and everything people predict, there's a whole timeline in industry behind it and people making money off of fearing and scaring you about exactly how it's going to work out. The, and I think what it is is not necessarily attempt to increase people's faith. It's not about faith. It's really about control. You see, if I've got information on how things are going to be exactly like a blueprint, a timeline, then I can trust my knowledge. I don't have to trust in God. It's almost as if I'm controlling um, the future, like I would control a stock portfolio with a little insider trading knowledge, you know? It's not the way of faith. That is the way of desire to have God's omniscience for myself. And that is not the way of faith. I want a blueprint, and God gives me a foundation. And that's what Jesus is telling us here in Luke chapter 6. And so today, in this text, we're going to learn these three uh, sections as we also look at the prophet Isaiah, which Jesus infers in this text, whether you realize it or not, Isaiah chapter 28, and in, um, from Ezekiel, the prophet himself. We're going to learn these three things today. First of all, that um, the inevitability of storms in life. Secondly, the easy, widely used option that most people, in fact, all of us have used. And then thirdly, the alternative that Jesus gives. The inevitability of storms in life. Okay, now I've already kind of mentioned that, uh, that we've all faced storms. That we're either coming into a storm, that we are in the middle of a storm, or we're just exiting a storm in life. Everybody, nobody has a smooth ride. Nobody gets away with a wonderful life and no problems in it. Now, we do our best to avoid them, right? We um, save up money. We buy insurance. We exercise. We try to protect ourselves with security. We get health checkups, all these things, but it still happens. And what we see here in this text that I think is amazing, that somehow we don't register, is the fact that those who follow Jesus and build on the foundation and those who don't uh, hear what he says and build on no, with no foundation, they both faith st face storms, right? Christians don't get by in life with less problems. Sorry. You know, I don't know if you realize there's... 
If you haven't thought through this, if you probably haven't been in Sunday school too much, that wonderful little song, the wise man built his house upon the rock. Anybody know that one? Yeah, okay. Well, there's a terribly bad theological last verse to that song because it's not at all in the Bible. And that is the conclusion. It says, so build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ, which I have no problem with that. But then it says, and the blessings will come down. The blessings come down as the prayers go up. Do you know that verse? It's not in the Bible. It's not in the story. No, the rain still comes down. The floods come down. It doesn't say blessings come down on those who follow Jesus and everything is nice and sunny and wonderful. If you think following Jesus is easy, <laughs> I don't know where you got it because it's not in the Bible. I'm not saying it isn't wonderful, purposeful, great, fantastic. It's just not easy. You don't have less problems. You don't have less illness. You don't have less issues. You, don't, you might have more when you're following Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? And 2020 was one of those years, right? Boy, did it have storms. And it, it's not just the pandemic and the economic fallout and the racial tensions and the issues that have resulted from that and the political turmoil and the forest fires and the hurricane. I mean, it was everything adding up. It was just a very difficult year. And we expected life to be smooth and predictable and controllable, but we really find out in the end that no, it isn't. Storms come. Everybody faces them. Whether 2021 will be a lot easier than last year, I'm not sure. But I dare say, expect a few storms. Don't expect it totally easy and smooth. We always want it so smooth. And we go like, oh my goodness, I can't believe how difficult it is. It's like, when are we going to start believing that life is tough? Right? Now, Jesus was speaking this parable in the first century AD, but he was also building upon the imagery and the usage of 700 years before him from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived in a time when Israel, or the city of Jerusalem and Judea, the southern kingdom, had seen what was happening to the northern kingdom of Israel and how it was being destroyed. And so they decided, is, uh, Judah decided, we're going to try to figure out and secure our future. And the way that they decided they were going to, quote, secure their future was to make an alliance with, of all nations, Egypt. Okay, now, <laughs> I think there's really some ir irony in the Bible time and again. So, this, so they want to make a... And, uh, relations with Egypt, um, what happened in Egypt for Israel? Slavery for 450 years. But somehow they think they can turn to Egypt against Assyria and Babylon and all these nations, make an alliance with them, and build a secure future for themselves. And what Isaiah is saying, you're not trusting God. You're trusting your own political prowess, your own ability to manipulate things, your own security, your own trying to figure it all out, your own human effort is more important to you. You trust in that. You say all the right words, but you don't have the right heart. And so Isaiah himself, 
in his book, chapter 28, shares this. He says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers. Scoffers. Do you believe that? Isaiah was saying God's people were scoffers, that they were blowing God off himself. (laughs) That's just who rule his people in Jerusalem. So even the rulers were doing this. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death, that is with Egypt. Because you realize the Egyptian culture was all focused on life after death and what happened. Every, all their energy was focused on that. So Isaiah says, you're making a covenant with a nation that basically worships death. And you have made, a Shahol has been in agreement When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. So they're trying to use their own words that they don't even... Doesn't that sound familiar to you about lies and falsehoods today? Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the plumb the line, and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. And when your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand, when the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. <laughs> not a positive wonderful, uplifting word. But Isaiah knew God's people were not trusting God. They were trusting their own abilities in God's name, maybe, but not truly trusting God. They were not willing to follow or trust God. They were not willing to stake their lives on his future, his promises, his covenant that he made with them. They wanted to hold on to it themselves and their ability to make things happen. Even though they were a small nation, they thought they could use and pull the strings of the puppet uh, uh, of the nations around them like puppets. But regardless of how smart they were or politically astute they were, how earnest and hardworking they were, they couldn't survive and Isaiah knew it. And by 586 BC, Jerusalem is flattened, the temple is destroyed, the people are taken off into exile. They have no more kings, they have no more sovereignty for hundreds and hundreds of years to the time of Jesus. That's the story. And Jesus knew that disaster would again come to his people. You see, in the time of Jesus, they were already now trying to figure out how to deal with the nations around them, specifically Romans. So some appeased them, some were rebellious against them, some were fighting in this way, some were just trying to get super pious. And they were all trying to figure it out themselves and work out and lay down a foundation of how they could have a future as a people. And Jesus knew, you're not trusting God. You're not trusting the foundation He already has laid the bedrock principle of his love and covenant with you. You are trusting yourselves, and that will fail you. And by 70 AD, Rome comes in and destroys the temple. The rebellions are ended, and the nation faces disaster. So again and again, God's people keep trusting themselves not God and his promises. Now, every historian knows that kingdoms and empires rise and they fall. Every doctor knows 
that finally we all face the onslaught of aging. Like it or not, every economist knows there's cycles of booms and busts, bear and bull markets, recession, inflation. No one in life gets a smooth ride, but somehow we think it's supposed to be that way. And because it's sunny now, it's nice now, it will be nice tomorrow. Though we don't know what 2021 will bring, most people are hoping it's much better than 2020. Maybe we'll be right, but I don't expect it to be completely smooth, do you? You do? You hope so. We all hope so. So it brings us to the second principle, and that is the idea of, now how are we going to be prepared for what we don't know will happen? And first we're going to look at this, <laughs> what most people do, the easy, the wide option, widely used option. Now, Jesus talks about this in this text. The easily, easy option is, you know, easy. It's what happens. It's easy, but it's foolish. And that here in the Middle East would be to build not on a foundation at all. You see, um, Kenneth Bailey, who um, lived for decades in the Middle East, knows the territory around Israel and Jerusalem where Jesus was speaking these words and how construction was done, not only today, but in the back in the time of Jesus. And without all the equipment, without concrete, without all of these things, there are two ways, basically, to build a house. Well, first of all, here's the reality. You don't build a stone house in Israel at the time of Jesus in the winter. And you go like, well, why is that? Because that's the rainy season. And it's not just because rain is falling, but it turns the earth into kind of mud and muck. And it's very difficult. And it can be very uh, snowy as well on the ridges of Israel. So you build in the summer, the only time anybody built. Now, the problem with the summer in the Middle East is it's hot. Okay, so that's one thing. But the second thing, and Leviticus 26 even brings this up, is that the type of soil around Jerusalem is very clay-based. And in the summer heat and dryness, guess what that turns into? In fact, in Leviticus 29, it says it bakes in and it treats, it turns into something like bronze. <laughs> Can you imagine? And so in order to build a house in the Middle East, the best thing to do is in the summer is still to break through and do the hard, arduous work of breaking through that clay-like soil to get down to the foundational bedrock. That's the hard way. The easy way is to say, well, it's hard enough. It should work. And you start building the house on the clay-like soil because at the moment, everything's good. Looks great. Of course, the house will stand during the dry moments. So you got, that's the choice. Do you do the hard, long, backbreaking work to get down to the bedrock to have a foundation? Or do you do the easy work and assume, hey, it's going to always be like this and just build on what you got? And most people in our day, even today, you know this, we choose the easy route because it's easy, right? You say, you've probably seen it a hundred times over in multiple ways. The quick fix, the easy out, the microwave mentality, 
reactive thinking, comfort seeking, you know, whatever works right now, that's all that matters. Take another credit card out because, hey, I've got reasonable credit and I deserve to have more trinkets and vacations. You deserve to reward yourself, right? Assuming that everything's going to be great because it'll always work out. Or forget studying. Your friends, they want to go out and party and have a good time. Besides, there's plenty of time in the semester to get to that paper. Why exercise or eat right, you know? Just enjoy life. Eat your dessert first. You're healthy now anyways. Everyone's going to die from something anyways. You probably heard that many times over. And what all these things have in common is the assumption that whatever is like today is going to be tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And it'll always continue that way, and it doesn't. And the storm comes. Decades of poor lifestyle and choices take their toll. The economy softens. The pandemic hits. You run out of time, <laughs> and you can't get that paper done. The bills come due. Interest rates skyrocket. The easy choice to build on that clay looked great because the hard work just didn't feel good. And you see in the Middle East what happens is if you would build on that clay in the summer, when the rains do come, and they do every winter, and when it rains a little more than you're used to and the water comes up against that, it turns that clay-like hard soil into chocolate pudding. And all of a sudden, those stone walls start to buckle and finally the whole house collapse and everything is lost. Jesus is speaking in something the Middle East understood very well. You just don't build that way. And yet somehow it hasn't sunk in. Now, he's not just saying, hey, you got to take the long-term strategy. you got to prepare for difficult times in the future. He's not talking about just delaying gratification, although I'll tell you we could use that lesson today. Jesus makes the comparison here between the foolish builder who builds on the clay and the one who goes down to the bedrock. The difference is between those who hear what Jesus says and don't do anything about it, and those who hear what he says and puts it into practice. It's easy, Jesus says, to hear what I say and let it go right through you, to take in the information and say how nice. It's very difficult to say, hear what I have to say and actually do the hard work of putting it into practice in your life, but that makes all the difference. That's how you are prepared. Now, in fact, Jesus is also building on what's happened before in the scriptures because the prophets were never listened to either. In fact, God speaks to Ezekiel and says these words in Ezekiel 33. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. They're focused on themselves, and they're focused on what's to my advantage. And behold, you are like to them, one who sings lustful songs with beautiful voice and plays well on the instrument. Yeah, in other words, you're singing love songs to them. That's what they're hearing. They're not really, you're just entertainment as a prophet. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. And when this comes, and it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. So Jesus is saying, 
like the prophets of old, are you going to put my words into practice or not? Are you going to take what I say and really let it sink in? Are you going to do the hard work of putting it in, or are you just going to let it fly by? Are you just treating me and what I have to say as entertainment, information, or are these things your very life? You know, how many people in even the Christian church hear the word, learn the word, and just never get around to do anything with it. I mean, we don't have to look into the rest of the culture. We can just look within the Christian church, because for decades and decades, people can go to Bible studies, right? And learn all the information, know everything about it, and yet somehow they haven't grown in their patience or their kindness or their character at all. Nothing has really changed. It's just a bunch of information and facts. They are no more kind. They are no more generous than they were 30 years ago. We've heard God's word. We've been amused by it. We've been entertained by it. We've consumed it. We've acted it out. And we've lived as if it doesn't really matter. We have more information about God's word than we know what to do with. Now, Brennan Manning, he wrote numerous wonderful Christian devotional books. One I would really recommend to you all, if you have not read it, is called The Ragmuffin Gospel. Great writer, great book. In another one called Ruthless Trust, he was once talking to his spiritual director, and his spiritual director turned to him and said, Brennan, you don't need any more insights into the faith. You've got enough insights to last you 300 years. The most urgent need in your life is to trust what you have received. The difference is not, we we have plenty of information. We've got translation after translation of the Bible. We've got commentaries. We've got books. We can read them all, and maybe you do, and that's great. But Jesus says, don't just hear my words. Do them. Put them into practice. Too many people know about God, but don't trust him. He seems still an add-on. This comes really uh, deep down at home to both me and to you, I think. And this is the tough part. Because this preacher, it's been too easy to build on clay, not do the hard work to put his words into practice, to trust, you know, Things are going to always be easy when they aren't. Or to just trust this or that aspect, you know, our technology or my knowledge or my this or my that, rather than to just trust God and his spirit. It's just too easy. Time and again, it's the quick, the easy, the convenient, the conventional. My choices, my desires, my thoughts and my decisions, the way I am building my life. Haven't we all faced things falling apart? You know, in the good times, it's easy to build your life on your health or on your career or on your desires and self-expression, on your success and finances, on romance itself, on your ideology or your cause or on your politics. But then all of a sudden, that person you trusted in so much can't give you what you all need. All of a sudden, 
your political party turns and changes, and it's like, what happened? Or that ideology you were so focused on just is found wanting, or that cause just doesn't seem to matter as much anymore. Or you are no longer at the top of your game in your career, and somebody else is better than you. Or it's so easy when things look good, it seems firm, and then when things get difficult, it turns to mush. So Jesus shares here an alternative for us. You can be prepared. You can be prepared for whatever comes in 2021. You don't have to worry about trying to figure out if it's this or that or the other thing that might come your way. The alternative is what Jesus shares here today. So as I um, kind of mentioned, I think the Jews of Jesus' day were very similar to the children of Israel in Isaiah's day. They looked that they had the temple, they had the temple of Herod right in front of them because they had God's temple and the priesthood and all of these things. They could treat it kind of like a lucky charm, a talisman of God is going to protect us and keep us. And even Jesus' disciples turned to him and say, look at how magnificent these buildings are in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to them, hey, not one stone is going to be left on top of another. It's all going to fall apart because it's not built on the foundation, the foundation that God laid. I don't know if you know this. At the time of Jesus, the temple there was the second temple, Herod's temple, the temple that he, uh, Ezra and others had started to build about 400 B.C.-ish, and that Herod then made much larger and grander, etc. But from the time of the second temple, they had some problems, one of them being the fact that when Solomon's temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, all the articles in the temple were taken, melted down, or taken as a booty into Babylon itself, never to be returned for something like the Ark of the Covenant. It was supposed to be sitting in the Holy of Holies. And so when the second temple was built, what the priests and others did is they went out and they found a stone about two feet square, maybe three feet square, um, that was kind of flat. They thought this was a stone that, that uh, Jacob um, had the dream next to in the book of Genesis of the staircase going from heaven to earth. And they placed the stone as the thing in the Holy of Holies in place of the Ark of the Covenant because they didn't have anything else. You know what they called that stone? Oddly. Ironically, prophetically, they called it the foundation stone. Isn't that interesting? The foundation stone. They said it was the stone that uh, the world was created from, that God did everything from. And Jesus, in our text, says, no, that isn't the stone. I am. Isn't that fascinating? So in Isaiah 28, when Isaiah says, behold, I am the one who has, God is the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. He's saying that truth is about me. That's me. 
You can't create a foundation. You can't dig a foundation. You can't pour down a foundation. You cannot make a foundation in your life except for the one that God has placed as the foundation of all of his creation from the beginning of creation, his son. In fact, um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ himself. Kenneth Bailey says this is the astounding fact in the New Testament, that throughout the New Testament there is a witness to the astounding fact that the person has replaced a building. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's not your rituals. It's not what you've accomplished. It's not your sacrificial system. It's not this. It's not that. It's not your piety. It's not your work. It's not your prayers. It's not any. What's the foundation is me. There's only one life that has dug down deep and cleared out everything to the bedrock principle of who God is and what God is about, and that is Jesus. The only one who is the one who created life in the first place, the one who has loved you before the foundation of this world. He chose you, it says. He's the only one who is the foundation. He's the only one who is the one who laid down his life to be that foundation, the one who, yeah, oddly enough, we rejected and thought was defective, becomes not only the cornerstone, the capstone, but the foundation stone, the one the builders had rejected. That's the one that Jesus, God says, is the foundation, Jesus Christ himself. The stone the builders rejected is the one. And through that cross and resurrection, Jesus is the foundation of your life. And you might be going like, well, John, boy, that seems very simple. So you're saying I can be prepared for 2021 in the future just by basically building my life on Jesus? Yeah. You don't need some timeline, some secret code through the book of Revelation to figure everything out, what's going to happen. You don't need to predict when the stock market's going to crash or go up or whatever. You don't need to try to keep current with all the trends. You don't need to understand what the fashion world is saying or this or that. You do not need to do all of the stuff that the world is saying, hey, you better keep up with technology, with this, with that, the other thing in order to be, make sure that your life, no. You need to do the basics to look to Jesus, to build your life on him, to find in him your identity, your purpose, your direction, your destiny. That's the only thing that has lasted through the ages. Everything else, everything else is kind of that chocolate pudding clay that just goes away, crumbles apart, falls apart, unless you are built on him. But what do you mean by this, John? I mean, because, I mean, I believe in Jesus, so am I not building my life on him? It means that you are actually trusting what Jesus has to say and trying to put it into practice, that you are forgiving sinners, you're loving your enemies, you pray for those who even might uh, hate you or persecute you, you serve those who are the least when you see them around, you deny yourself, you take up the cross, you learn that it is much more blessed to give than to receive, that you take... Time to take his word and then to put it into practice and say, that's what my life is all about. I'm letting him define who I am, what I am, and where I am going. You let God's word change you. You don't interpret his word. You let his word interpret you. 
That's what will make 2021 the future any day, a day when you are prepared. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this day. At the beginning of a year, often we try to make resolutions or we talk about how, you know, how great we're going to make this year. It's not about what we make of it. It's what you have done, Lord Jesus, what you have promised. May our lives, everything this coming year, be built on you, on your words, that we put into practice what you say, that we listen to you, O oh Lord, and follow you, that uh, <laughs> all the other advice... That's all it is. But what you have to share with us is good news. You've given us your very life. You've laid down it all, Lord, to be that foundation. We thank you for that. Today, we especially remember those, Lord, who have had storms come upon them, Lord, very difficult times. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that the foundation truly uh, is, you are, your life is that foundation. And so, we thank you, Lord, though Andy Blankenship now has passed away to be with you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that her life was founded on you as her foundation, Lord. That uh, she could rest in you in the last days in hospice were days where she was at peace with you and looking forward to seeing you face to face. I, we pray now for Jeff and the family, Lord. We pray for them that in these days of grieving and that they recognize the that you are holding them up. That everything else may, may be difficult, but you are the foundational <laughs> principle of their lives, Lord Jesus. We pray for their comfort, their peace, Lord. We pray that you'd be with them. We, we lift up to you those who need your healing, those who are facing uh, difficulties and loneliness, Lord, that um, we can rest in you, we find your, our peace in you, we find our direction in you, our identity in you. And Lord, um, as we prepare to see that you've already laid before us and given us yourself, Lord, um, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in, a, in just a few minutes, Lord, we just pray that you would Work through that time so that we understand that you are the one who prepares us for the future and no one else and nothing else, Lord God. So all this we lift up to you this day in Jesus' name. Amen.